Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. There was a there was a movie, gosh, over 30 years ago. It was called Top Gun. How many of you remember Top Gun? Most of us have seen it, right? There was a scene in Top Gun. You've seen it, right? You go, wow, that's a classic. There was a scene in Top Gun where Tom Cruise does something incredibly silly, right? He... He stops and he sings to then Kelly McGillis, right? And the song he sang was very interesting. He was actually singing, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Remember, he's there at the bar and he picks her up and he, and he says, and, 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 and he starts singing to you, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. And I started thinking about that. And although it's corny, listen, some of the words of that song often reminds me of our walks with Jesus. You go, well, what do you mean? Well, you see, the premise of the song is really simple, Right? A love for someone had grown cold. And although they're going through the motions, it's clear that the one had lost that loving feeling. Okay, the writer of the song points out this. He says, quote, there is no welcome in your eyes anymore when I reach for you. You're starting to criticize little things I do. It makes me just feel like crying. Why? Because baby, baby, something beautiful is dying. And then he goes on to say, You've lost that loving feeling. Do you guys remember that song? We, we, we do. We sing it at times. Now, guys, we chuckle at that scene, right? We're going, nobody, nobody does that, right? It's in the movie. But i got to be honest with you, back in the day, right? Not me, okay, but back in the day, it's sad to say that some actually used that move, you know? I mean, just to get a girl's attention. Now, I know you're looking at me like, you, Pastor? No, not me. Not me. I didn't do that. Now, the sad truth of all of this is that there's a serious problem, guys, in many churches today. You see, in many churches today, they too have seemed to have lost, right? They seem to have lost that loving feeling for Jesus. As a matter of fact, they're doing all the right things. They're a church that you would be proud of. They're a church that is filled to capacity. They're a church that has... Um, security, making sure cars go in and out, police directing traffic. They're a church that does everything exactly right, but they seem to be doing them for all the wrong reasons. You see, this was a problem in the church at Ephesus. See, this was a problem at the church at the end of the first century. Jesus sends a message to them that we have recorded here in Revelation chapter 2. Now, as we make our way through chapter 2, church, let us remember that this was an actual church, but we can apply it to our lives. And of course, if you're taking note, and I highly encourage you, I am calling this message, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. So, let's jump into our text. Here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to do a little bit different. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, okay? And then we'll come back and we'll make some comments. Revelation. Now, I just want to point out something real quick. A lot of people call it revelations. It's not revelation. It's revelation, and it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he is writing a message to this church. Here's what I want you to do. For a moment, think, what if Jesus was writing this to our church? You know, like one day I stroll out, la, 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 and I go to the mailbox, and I pick it out, and there's a letter from God to our church. 
Well, first of all, I'm not going to read it, you know, because it's like, this is crazy. This is scary. But this is what he's doing. He's, he's writing. So, so let's read it. Verses uh, 1 through 7, Revelation chapter 2. It says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and you found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Your attention, please. We're talking about a church at the time of the book of Acts. Remember, Ephesus, think about this church in your mind. Ephesus, the city itself, guys, was was the world center. It was kind of like our Washington, D.C., if you will. It was the world center for politics. That's what's going on. But it was also the world center for religion as far as, as well as politics. The population, about 500,000 people. That's a lot better. That's a good place for a whistle. There you go. Thank you. They had this just amazing amphitheater seated about 25,000. They had the, now, now, they had the malls of the mall, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about. You wanted to go shopping? Guess where you went? We won't, we're going to Ephesus. This was the place. I mean, this is where we're going to. If you want anything, guess who had it? Ephesus had it, right? It was so influential in the world that it was called the Star of Asia, or people often called it the Lights of Asia. Wealthy and prosperous and magnificent of its day. Could you imagine? Could you imagine a city so amazing, so beautiful, the malls, the shopping, the food, the luxury, all of that wrapped up in one place? That would be Ephesus. Especially dominant there, Ephesus, well, it was a city that was actually worshipped the goddess Diana. You go, well, what did they worship? Well, a lot of them had what we call temple prostitutes. So you have the what? You had the the worship of Diana, which means what? Well, you've got a city that's amazingly popular. You've got amazing that's amazingly wealthy and prestige, and you've got food and you've got shopping, but it was also very wicked. It was very, very wicked. You go, really, Pastor? Uh, I mean, it was immoral, and it was violent. But one thing we need to remember, you go, well, what's that? Well, jot this down. If you're taking note, put this. Ephesus was a very dark place. Ephesus was a very dark place. Like a lot of cities that we encounter, Ephesus was very dark. But here's what I want you to see, guys. Here's, Here's where the light comes in in our heart, okay? You go, what's that? Although Ephesus was a very, very dark place, the gospel flourished like no other. And you go, why? Because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You go, Pastor, what's the application? Listen, we live in a very dark world. We live in a very dark city, but that's exactly where God put us so that we can shine the light of the gospel. 
Now, now here's what we got to understand, okay? As we, as believers, are, are, are having the right attitude and the right servant and, and, and serving our God and loving our Jesus, when we're going to shine the light, we're usually shining the light in the light. And we don't need to shine the light in the light because everybody else can see in the light, but he wants us to go in the dark place. And when you shine the light in the dark place, there's a lot of things that we go, oh my goodness, I don't want to see things in the dark place. But that's where the gospel flourishes the most. And that's where we have to take a step back in our lives and say, God, you have me here for a reason. What's well, a very dark place. And now I want to shine this light. Lord, am I shining the light? Am I being a light at work? Are people drawn to Jesus because of me? Am I being a light at school? Are people being drawn to Jesus how I live? Am I being a, a light in my community? Are people being drawn to Jesus because of the way I behave? That's what that's what what's going on in Ephesus, guys. It it flourished. Well, Paul started the church, right? And he ministered there. And he ministered there for three years. And Apollos was there, and Timothy, and even John himself, right? The church there was rich in tradition, had wonderful fruit, had a powerful impact. Kind of like what I hope our church would be. Kind of like where we got to really dig in from now on and think, guys, this is it, man. This is it. Why? Our church, man, we, we, we want to make a powerful impact on Lubbock, Texas. We want to see people saved. But not only do we want to see people saved, we want to see people discipled. We want to see them growing in Jesus. You see, it was 14 years ago that Nathalie and I sat and we moved to Lubbock and she said, we just want to see people growing in God. We want to see them living victoriously. We need a win, Lord. We need a win. We want to see people. that and, and, and guys, look what he's doing in our church. You wouldn't believe this. Oh, you go, well, I look around. There's not a whole lot of people. But you wouldn't believe what God has done in the last 15 years. There are people who are going to heaven because of this church. Not me. Because we all band together. We locked arms and we said, we're, what? we're committed to what? We're committed to the mission. We're committed. I'm sorry, I'm preaching to y'all, man. I'm just like, come on. I'm just excited. Why? Because that's what I want our church to be. I want to see if we can just impact Lubbock, Texas for the glory of God. Not so that we could be famous. Not so they can go, oh, that's Calvary. But so that we can impact lives. We don't have to be a very big church to impact our community. Amen? But we have to be on the same page and we have to stay focused on the mission. Well, Ephesus. Despite its rich tradition, right, and its powerful impact, Ephesus had a real problem. Ephesus had a real problem. You go, well, what was that? Well, that's the reason for this letter, right? Well, what was their problem? Well, if you're taking note, they'd lost that loving feeling. And you go, how? Because they left their first love. They left their first love. That was their biggest problem. You see, although Ephesus was a real city, guys, it impacts our lives because I think a lot of Christians do that too. We get to the place where we're doing Christianity so well that we forgot that we love Jesus. You see, it was yesterday, and I had to confess to, to the leadership of this church, just because you work at a church does not mean that you're in the worship mode all day long. 
or that you even acknowledge Jesus. You see, it was all day doing business, doing, doing ministry, answering phones, talking to insurance people, all of this stuff. And then we got to the place where we, we had a worship song or two. And the Lord's like, hey, that's the first time you really worshiped me today. Because we're, we get, we, it's so easy to, to go through the motions. It's so easy to get up and open our Bibles and have our quiet times and, and check mark it. Okay, had my quiet time. It's so easy to kind of put on Caleb as we go to our jobs and listening to Christian radio, and it's so easy to sing along for a little bit and call it worship. It's so easy, and so Ephesus had that same problem. They lost because they left the Lord. They lost that love and feeling. And that's where we pick up our story. Let's break down and let's talk a little bit about it. Verse 1 says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, okay? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, okay? So here's the divine revelation. Jesus begins revealing who or what, should I say, the divine attributes, right? His divine attributes. You go, what are they? Number one, if you're taking note, you can jot this down. He's omnipresent. You go, Ben, that's a fancy word. All it means is that he's ever present in the midst of the churches. Listen to me. There should not be a day that we in this church don't fight the, invite the Lord Jesus to be here. When Jesus leaves this church, we have become a social club. He's omnipresent. Number two, he's omniscient. You go, what's that? He's all-knowing, right? He sees their works but he also sees their sin. And then third, we see that he's omnipotent. Omnipotent. What does that mean? All-powerful. He holds the churches and its leadership in his right hand, and, and he speaks of power and authority. What does he say? He says, to the angel, to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Guys, if you're taking notes, there's two schools of thought about this word. The word angel can mean an angelic being, a ministering spirit, an angel. And the idea in one school is that every church has this guardian angel. I think that's kind of cool. Wouldn't that be cool if our church had a guardian? I mean, and I'm thinking our guardian angel probably gets beat up, gets beat up every single work, and I'll tell you why. Every single week our, our angel gets beat up, and you go, why? Because, guys, because we, behind this pulpit, we're going to do nothing but teach God's word. We're not going to teach opinions. We're not going to teach what's going on in the world. We're not going to teach politics. Behind this pulpit should be holy ground. As we open his word, that's what we're going to do. And guess what? When you teach and preach and live God's word, guess what happens? The enemy didn't like it. I think that's cool. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be cool? We have a guardian angel. When we get to heaven, we're like, hey, that's, that's, our, that's our guardian angel. That'd be cool. That's the first school of thought. The second school of thought, that basically angel can be translated messenger or pastor. Pastor. So think about it. It says to the angel. Now, I've been called a lot of things, but angel is not one of them. Okay, now we have an angel in here, so I was thinking, how could I work this in? But anyways, nonetheless, nobody has said, oh, you're the angel of the church of Lubbock, right? Now, I do have angelic qualities, that's true. But I haven't ever been called angel. Well, of course, he's talking about being what? A pastor, a minister, 
right? And most commentators I read said that they kind of lean towards that. They kind of, they kind of, that Jesus is speaking to the pastor of Ephesus. Now, again, that also puts me in a, in a, in a precarious position. Why? Could you imagine the pastor going to open the letter? <laughs> pastor Ben from God. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Right? That's what's happening. So, so I don't know who the pastor is at this point, but think about it. He's saying to the pastor. And Jesus is revealing himself here as the heartbeat of the church. Their life and their leadership are in his hands. Oh, now, now think about it, right? He is the heartbeat of the church. Now, Isaiah writes in 41.10, he writes, he writes this, Fear not, it says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's what Jesus says. He is the heartbeat. And again, guys, all I can say is that Jesus needs to be the heartbeat of our church. He needs to be the heartbeat of our church. It's not about a pastor, assistant pastor, worship leader, or children's ministry. It's about Jesus. And we beg you, Jesus, that your spirit would fall and speak to us and guide us. Because we need you in such a way today, guys. Our world is exploding. And, and here you tell us to fear not that I am with you. To God be the glory. Amen. So what's the diagnosis? Well, I love Jesus. Why? Because here's, he, he gives us such an amazing pattern. What's he going to do? Now, Jesus is going to tell this church that he, you have some faults. You have some issues. Amen? But he doesn't do it without giving them praise first. Anytime that you're going to talk to somebody in a crucial conversation, I think you should always list some wonderful, amazing attributes first. It's, it's biblical. Look what Jesus says in verse 2. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles, but they're not. And you found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. And you have not become weary. Now, here's what I want you to notice, guys. Verses 2 and 3. Jesus has some wonderful things to say about this church. Now, listen, if I'm reading this letter, I'm, I'm excited. Yes, yes, Jesus just said, man, look at this, man. But here's the problem. Things that are on the outward appearance might lead us to think, man, this is a great church. This is a great church. But nonetheless, I want you to see the Lord affirms four wonderful things. You go, what are they? Well, we can pull from these verses that, number one, jot this down, it's a serving church. It's a serving church, right? And I think about it. He says, I know your works, your labor. This can be translated with absolute clarity and certainty. I know your works. Now, here's what I love. Here's what I love about Ephesus. There are no Christian couch potatoes in Ephesus. These guys were on fire. They were serving. They were serving. They were serving. You see, oftentimes when you go into a church, you go, Pastor, where can I serve? Well, children's ministry. Oh, right? That's mostly where everybody... But guys, these people were serving. They were serving in whatever area they could do. They weren't looking for the pastor to say, hey, go do this or do that. They're coming and going, what can I do? What can I do? What do you need? What do you need? Right? I'll, I'll sweep the floor. This was a serving church. What we've got to ask ourselves today is how can we at Calvary Chapel Lubbock be a serving church? How can we just serve the Lord by serving his people? How can we serve, right? I want the Lord to write a letter to us and say, I know your works. I've seen you guys serve, right? Now, 
here's what I want you to see. He says, I know your works, your labor. Everybody say labor. Because here's what it means. Working to the point of exhaustion. That's what it means. These people loved, at one point, loved Jesus so much, guys, they would work to the point of exhaustion. They were not at all thinking at times, oh, I've been here for 15 minutes, when can I go home? Oh, I can't believe this. Oh, they want me to vacuum? I can't believe this. They want me to vacuum. Oh, vacuum. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. I learned that lesson early on as assistant pastor. Went on staff at Calvary Chapel Rio Rancho. Thought I was Pastor Ben, right? I'm going to sit in my office and I'm going to study and I'm going to counsel people. And I'm going to... It was a big church. People were in and out every day. I mean, it was, it was a full-time job just counseling. And yet, my pastor comes to me and goes, great, wonderful. You want to be a pastor? Yes, I feel I'm called to be a pastor. He says, okay, great. Now start cleaning the church. Excuse me? Don't you know who I am? I'm Pastor Ben. I mean, seriously. And so I had to learn through a lot of hard knocks. You see, the Lord wanted to break my heart because when we think we're something, we don't serve. We don't serve with a pure heart. So there I was, guys, and I was in one of the classrooms, and I was just broken, and the Lord had convicted me, and I'm listening to teachings, and I just knew it, right? I saw my pastor walk by at the time. I said, hey, Robert, 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 can I speak to you for a moment? And take up my head. I had to confess, guys. I had to, oh, I'm so sorry, Robert, would you please forgive me? I've been serving with a bad attitude. I've been serving the wrong way. That's not, I, was, I haven't been. I need to be serving you like I would serve my Jesus. That's what I need to be. How would I serve Jesus? And that's what this church was. It, was. it was to the point of exhaustion, guys. Exhaustion. They had all sorts of ministry going on. Other churches might sit and do nothing for the kingdom, but not this fellowship. The second thing we see, guys, is it was a steadfast church. It was a steadfast church. They were commended for their patient endurance. Patience, guys, they were to bear up under the heavy load, right? These believers were not quitters. They hung in there in the midst of persecution and suffering. It was a steadfast church. The third thing we see, jot this down, it was a separated church. You go, what do you mean? Jesus says, I know that you hate the deeds. I know you hate those deeds were evil, right? Those whose deeds were evil. Okay, so they weren't putting up with, hey, let's bring the world in the church. Come on. You know, they were going, no, 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 this is wrong. And they took a stand. The church took a stand because they believed in the word of God. Guys, when we read in Acts chapter 19, where they actually took a stand against witchcraft, right? In Acts chapter 19, all those who were involved in occulted practices before coming to Christ, actually went out and publicly burned all the books they used to practice magic. They hated evil. They burnt bridges of their sinful passes. They looked back in their lives and said, man, my life was wicked. I was wrapped up in the occult. I'm not going to leave one of those books on my shelf. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 19, verse 19, the open Bible says that it was valued at $364,000 of the books they burned. When we get saved, guys, we cross from what? We cross from death to life. And we don't need a lot of the things in our past that reminded us of death. And they took those books and go, man, my life was wicked. I'm going to get rid of it. There's not one thing that's going to remind me of how I used to live. 
I'm getting rid of it all. Why? Because I love Jesus. I'm sold out. Do what you want. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And the fourth thing we see about this church is it was a Scripture-loving church. Look at verse 2b. He said, I have taste, You have tested those who say they're apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be liars. You go, how did they, how did they know? You ready? Jot this down. They knew the word. They knew the word. They knew what the truth was and could discern a lie. Guys, they didn't put up with false teaching. They didn't put up with false teaching, right? There are so many heresies circling the, around the church today and ministries that are getting rich off them. Man, if that would have happened in Ephesus, Ephesus, Ephesus would have said, no, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Guys, they knew the word of God. We may not know a whole lot of things in this world, but we better know the word of God and we should be able to discern who's a false teacher and who's not. We should be able to go, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. When you know the word, listen, let me just say this, okay, because I love y'all. Calvary Chapel ruined us for other churches. You go, why? Because once we get the truth, we, 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 it's, hard to, to, it's hard to go to listen to somebody else and go, oh, well, we, uh. and then when you start listening to somebody or just if it's on the radio or something, you're starting to pick up stuff that, no, that's not right. Oh, no, he's pulled that out of context. Oh, and it's frustrating, but, but better you know the word of God. Please be Bereans. Please check out everything that's being taught from this pulpit, from any pulpit. Check it out. Don't just take my word. Pastor, he's such an, such an awesome pastor. I'll just take his word. No, 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 no. You check it out in the word of God. Always. You go, okay, it's scripture. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. So, if I'm reading this letter, A+. Plus. Right? If this is the letter to me, I'm the pastor of Ephesus, ooh, this is great. But here's the problem. That's not the end of the story, is it? And so Jesus tells me all the good things, but now he's going to present the problem. Look at verse 4. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. You left your first love. Now, Here's your problem, Jesus says, and it's a major one. Guys, you left your first love. Here's what I want you to see. If you look up that word in the Greek, it means to release, to let go, to be left behind. That's what it means. Now, one thing we got we to gotta pull out of this text is very important. You go, what's that? Here's what I want you to know, and it's a good place to know in your Bible. You go, what's that? Notice they left, they didn't lose it. Okay, they left it, they didn't lose it. You see, it wasn't misplaced, right? Have you ever misplaced your keys? Have you ever lost your keys? Have you ever lost something that's real important? You lose it. Oh, I had it, where is it? I don't know where it is. I, I lost it. That's not what they did. They actually left it. They knew right where he was and they left it. That's what Jesus tells them. Jesus says, guys, you left it. You left it. You go, what happened? Guys, think about this. Activity now replaced affection. Activity replaced affection. They were, they were now going, okay, we're church. We're doing good. We're good. We've got A plus. And then they, something happened. I want you to picture in your mind for just a moment, Jesus coming to the church 
And the greeters go, like, no, no, you're, you're not welcome here. We got it. We got it. Okay, George, Jesus, we got it. Okay, here. Listen, ministry running great. Church is filled up. All the programs are awesome. We're okay, Jesus. Why don't you go help one of those other? And they've actually, in a sense, right? In my opinion, in a sense, they asked Jesus not to come back into their church. Why? Activity replaced affection. Affection. Let me ask you a question. Why do you do what you do for God? Is it because you really love Him? What else happened, Pastor? Well, you see, programs then replaced passion. Programs then replaced passion. And duty replaced devotion. You go, Pastor, that's heavy, man. We're the Wednesday night crowd. I know, but we have to be careful. We have to be wise because our activity can replace our affection and our programs can replace compassion and, or I'm sorry, passion and duty can replace our devotion. You go, well, I've got a question, Ben. What does it mean to leave your first love? I mean, they didn't lose it. What does it mean? Well, it's when the Lord and the things of the Lord are no longer your first passion. It's when the things that once stirred your heart no longer do. Well, you go, like what? Well, I think if, if that's the case, then, then I would encourage you to do a serious heart check. And as I was thinking about this, I jotted some possible indications that, that we left our first love. And you go, well, like what? Well, let's, let's just say this. It's like when you see someone come forward to the altar call and they make a decision to follow Christ. Do you remember tears used to fill your eyes? You used to, your heart used to beat and you used to see somebody and you're going, oh my gosh, he's getting saved. Here's a good indication that you've left Jesus out is what? Well, now you find yourself thinking cynical thoughts. Like, I wonder how many of them are really saved. I wonder how much of them um, is that going to take? I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're just... And again, think about it. We used to, we used to cry. For me personally, man, it was a long time ago. Michael W. Smith came out with a song, and man, it, it was called Secret Ambition. And the video, I remember laying in bed, and, 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 and I was watching it, and I remember, I mean, just tears were coming because they showed Jesus on the cross just bloodied and beaten. And this, remember, this is, this is 80, so it wasn't the, we hadn't seen the passion yet or anything else. And, and, I, and I would break because I said, that's because that was my sin. And I don't know how many of you remember watching the Passion and just tear, just just crying, and saying, "That's my Jesus." And then we get a little bit older, and then that doesn't that doesn't we we watch it again, and we're just like, hmm. Hmm. or or maybe it's. Maybe a good indication is when you find yourself being more interested in knowledge than in knowing. You go, what does that mean? 
Well, you come and you want to get, you, you want to learn more Bible because you want your brain stimulated instead of your heart touched. That, my friends, happens when we leave our first love. The things that once moved us, the things that once penetrated, the things that once brought tear to our eyes, they don't anymore. You see, I have a book on my shelf, and I, Charles Spurgeon wrote it, and he's talking about One More Soul, and it's an evangelistic book, and he said, when was the last time that you cried? Real tears. When was the last time you cried for, for people that are lost? And I'm like, God, I'm guilty. <laughs> Listen, Lord, I'll do, and they, you bring them to my church, God, and I'll give them the gospel. But when was the last time that we just spent some time just weeping over the sin of our nation and those that we know that are lost? When was the last time? When was the last time, church, you got alone with the love of your life? Jesus, and you just spent hours worshiping and, and talking and singing to him. Pastor, we're busy. Come on, give me a break. But we do that with humans. We do that with humans. I think back well over 30 years ago, and I saw Natalie, thump, 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 thump. You know what? I wanted to spend all my time with her. I mean, wow, you know, I was thinking she's pretty blessed to know me. I mean, it was just amazing, you know. I was, I'm just kidding, it was me. But, but you guys need to understand, when, before we got married, we'd stay on the phone till, till 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And we'd talk, and then basically we'd fall asleep. I mean, why, why would you do that? Well, you know, because I wanted to know, I wanted to spend time with her. That was the love of my life. How come we need to do that with Jesus? Do you guys remember maybe a time in your life when you were blown away? When you felt, man, when you would pick up your Bible to read and the glory of God would speak to your heart. Do you remember that? When was it the last time? Remember when you were being floored, when you would come to a Bible study and feel like the pastor was talking, you know, especially to you? How did he know? How did he know this was what I was going through? And it was like, that's the Lord. I know it's you, Lord. Here's our goal, guys. It's that feeling that we once had when we walked in church like this and saw so many people in love with Jesus. Right? And now here's the problem. The problem in Ephesus, those type of things no longer move them. You go, Ben, how does this happen? How did it happen in Ephesus? Well, one possibility, guys, for Ephesus, a new generation. You see, this church began about 53 AD when Paul came there in Acts chapter 19. Well, now it's 43 years old. You go, what happened? Many of the old converts are old and they've died and, and they haven't plugged into the new people. And so again, you've got, a, you've got an older generation. They didn't carry with them the same love and intensity and infection of those who went before them. 
something happens when we miss a generation. And here's what I love to say, especially with our young people. You guys are world changers. The problem is, is I got to ask you, what are you listening to? Are you listening to the world telling you that you'll never amount to anything? Are you listening to the world saying you'll never make an impact for the kingdom of God? Are you listening to your friends going, oh, just calm down. Don't be a Jesus freak. What I'm telling you is that you're a world changer. If you'll just submit and open your heart, you'll see what God will do. He'll blow your mind. That's exactly, I mean, again, listen, we're missing it. Ephesus missed it. And you go, well, can you illustrate that? Well, let me illustrate it this way, okay? Think about Abraham. Abraham was known as a friend of God. What did Abraham do? He built altars, right? He was known as a worshiper. He dug wells for his sheep. And then he had a son named Isaac. Guess what? Isaac dug dug wells, but he never built any altars. He, He never worshiped. And then you had Jacob. Guess what Jacob did? None of the above. Jacob never built any altars. He didn't build any wells. Jacob didn't build an alt, was, didn't become an altar builder until God broke him. We have to be so careful. We have to be so careful. You go, how else does it happen? Well, it can also happen when we get caught up in doing that we forget about devotion. You see, activity replaces affection when more are concerned with what we're doing than who we're doing it for. A lot of times, church, listen, this happens when we allow someone or something else to take the place of their passion for the Lord. It was Tim Keller in his book that said, our hearts are idle factories. And we can easily replace the passion of the Lord with an idol. And we have to be so careful. We always have to be so ever watch. Lord, where's my passion? Here's a simple test. It's a test for me as well as for you. Is Jesus the last thing on your mind when you go to sleep and the first thing when you wake up? That's what it needs to be. Because this, guys, this is just temporary. Life on here is just temporary. But eternity. So Ben, I'm supposed to think about God all day long. I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. I'm supposed to just, I'm supposed to be so, no, you're not supposed to be. This is a natural byproduct of you being in love. Of you having this unconditional love for Jesus. He's our God. And we're going to spend eternity with him. And I want to know him. I want to know him. But Ben, you're going to spend eternity getting to know him. I want to know him now. I long to hear my Savior's voice. I long to hear the God who created the universe speak with me and walk with me. And you know where you feel him inside. You're like, yes, that's my God. I want that passion back. I don't want to allow something or someone else to take the place of the passion for the Lord. But you guys can think about it this way too. Listen to me. The same thing can happen in marriage. You can lose your passion and intensity, guys, in your instance. For the love of your life, for your wife, for your husband, and it can be replaced by routine. 
You've been married 30 years. I want to be married 30 years and people think I'm a newlywed. Right? Do you remember newlyweds? Okay, do you remember when you were newlyweds? Some of you don't remember when you are newlyweds, but I mean, think about this. Ever see young couples, right, when they first get married? They can't take their eyes off each other. They're always touching, rubbing their back and, and little kisses. So we got to keep that. Anyway, that's, that's for marriage. That's for marriage. Ephesus was a serving church. So my question to you, Is it possible to serve and suffer for Jesus without loving him? I, I jotted some motivations down for doing that. Serving and suffering without a relationship. How, why would you even do that? Number one, check this out, to alleviate guilt. The world lives on guilt. And the best way we know how to alleviate guilt, our, our mistakes, I'm going to serve Jesus without loving him. I'm going to serve and suffer somewhere. Number two, here's one, to be noticed. To be noticed. We will serve. Listen, can I just say this? We have to be so careful because I, I would bet there are many, many pastors behind pulpits who are simply pastors because they want to be noticed and they want the pat on the back and they don't know who Jesus is. How do you know that? I know that because statistically, we get a magazine that tells us that there are pastors who want to quit the ministry. They just can't because they can't find a job. They can't get a better job. And so they're going, well, I guess I'll, I'll do this ministry thing because it pays the bills. We have to be so careful that we, right here, guys, that we don't want to want to be noticed. You guys are awesome. And when, when, when any pastor behind this pulpit delivers a message Straight from the Word of God. You guys are great. Oh, that was wonderful. Good message, Pastor. Thank you. Amen. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. Another, another motivation may, is not maybe not to alleviate guilt, but to feel fulfilled. To feel fulfilled. I've done something. I've gave back to charity. Guys, listen. To serve Jesus... The highest motivation is pure and simple. Just be on fire for him. Just be on fire for him. Let that fire. Lord, you, you, Josh knows that song, right? Lord, light, light that fire again. You don't have to sing it, I'm just saying. You know that. Light that fire, God. Many of us have a flame. I want God to turn up the flame. I want to be on fire for him. I don't want to just go out of this world. Well, he started off really good. And yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to be a firework. It shoots, starts off brilliant, and then within, within a few seconds it's done. I, I want to be a star. I want to be a star that's, that's so bright for the Lord that lasts and lasts and lasts. Well, what's the remedy? Verse 5, what do we do? Jesus tells them, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else 
I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you, help me church, what's that word? Repent, repent. Pastor, I don't think the Bible ever talks about repentance. It talks about the repentance a lot, right? And that's what he's telling them. He says, what's the first thing we need to do, church? Remember, okay? Think back to that time when you were most in love with God. Think back to that time. Remember how you longed for the word and how it, and, and you made time every day. Remember when you were eager to share what Jesus had done and what he was doing in your life with others. Remember that time. Remember the wonder you felt in worship. And you made sure that you made it to church early enough not to miss any of it. Remember the eagerness and the anticipation in which you approached the things of the Lord. What was God going to do today? I got a phone call from a friend of mine and said, can you go pray for a friend of mine in the hospital here? And so we, I said, Santos, we're going to do a hospital visit. And we went up, went up to the hospital and we sat and, and the, the boy was, he was asleep and we walked in and we're like, oh, we don't want to, hello. And he wouldn't wake up. So we went and we waited for a little while. And we went back and finally his mother came and, oh, thank you for praying. And we prayed for him and we walked out and we're walking, right? We're walking out. And all of a sudden, Santo stops and he goes, this true story. He stops and he says, hold on, Pastor. I don't know what's going on, but I need to go pray for these people. And he just goes. And so we go over there and, and he goes, uh, can we just pray for you? And they're crying. They're sitting outside. This is outside the hospital. And he just they're just crying. And, and we got to minister to people we don't even know. And I was blown away. Santos, you know them? I don't know them. I just felt like I just... Are you kidding me? And I was thinking about that, guys. I was thinking about I was thinking about that eagerness and anticipation going, God, what do you want to do with me today? Who, who do you want me to pray for? Who's hurting and broken? Because we're all good at what, guys? We're all good at putting on masks. How you doing? Praise God, doing good. I'm doing all right. Amen. Praise. And sometimes we're just broken on the inside. And a lot of people may just be like, I'm okay. How are you? What's, what's the number? How are you doing? Good. How are you? Fine. That's our normal reaction. That's our go-to. But I wonder if they're broken on the inside that God's going, no, no, no. Hold on just a second. I want you to minister to that person. We get up in our day and we go, hey, it's just a random day. I don't know. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. I wonder if we took the time every day to go, Lord, here's my day. But you're welcome to you're welcome to interrupt it if you want to. You're welcome if if you bring somebody, I I just I want to minister who you are. I just want to minister who you are. You're welcome to and 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 do that. Let the Lord do that. So we need to remember, guys. We may remember those times when we prayed, and we believed. Jesus says, "Remember." The second thing he says, "Repent." Right? Change of mind. Change your mind about the place that you are now. You go, Pastor, I'm not in sin, but if we've left our first love, then we need to repent and go, no, I don't want to be in this place. I want my devotion to Jesus. And then he says what? He says, repent. Instead of rationalizing your condition, your complacency, 
by saying things like, oh, well, I've matured. How about more like, I admit it. Man, I'm a mess. God, please. I'm The thing you're, oh, Lord, please, Jesus. Those sort of things. Admit it, confess it, our motives. Lord, my motives have become routine. Please forgive me. Admit how you've taken him for granted and that you've become self-centered or self-focused. Those are those things what he's talking about, right? And then he says, and the third thing, repeat. He says, do the first works. What are those things? Go back, to, go back to the basics, man. Read your Bible with eager eyes. Start believing again that God is going to speak to you. Put everything else aside and make the only thing that matters knowing him and worshiping him. And guys, you've heard me say this a thousand times. It's not, it, it, we can't be in a place where we just play church. We just play church. We don't want to make it routine. We want to come in here expecting to meet with God. Expecting to meet with God. Get here early. Take in the worship. By, you know, by the way, worship is us talking to God already. Start praying about everything. Start believing. Guys, start believing that God wants to use you. Start believing that our church is going to start growing. Start believing that God is going to, we're going to make an impact in Lubbock. Start believing that every Sunday morning this altar is going to be full with 30 or 40 people commit crying right here. Listen, before when we listen, when we built this, there's scripture under here, guys, right here that everybody wrote before we laid the carpet so that so that God could would do an amazing work. And and we need to start believing that. We need to start believing that. We need to start living what we believe. Belief is a powerful thing. We need to start believing that God's going to do an incredible thing. He's going to do incredible. Well, with the remainder of our time, he's going to give us a divine ultimatum. And then he's going to give us an exhortation. Let's finish it up. He says, or else, guess what? I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. That's what he's going to do, unless you repent. Look at verse 6. But one thing I do, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, who were the Nicolaitans? Real quick. Those, the Nicolaeans were those who said, we'll tell you what to do and who to date and who to marry. What they thought was they were the mediators between you and God. And yet the word of God says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But that's who the Nicolaitans were. They were lording it over the people. And the church of Ephesus goes, man, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We're not going to do that. And Jesus says, man, that I also hate. And then he gives us a divine exhortation. You go, what's that? He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's what we're going to do. Ask yourself today, church, ask yourself today, is there a distance between you and Jesus? In other words, have you left your first love? You see, you and I have an opportunity tonight to respond to his love letter. And you go, how do I respond? The same way, remember? Exercise your mind by thinking back on when you were the closest to the Lord. Repent. This begins with your confessing. God, I just confess. I agree with you concerning his diagnosis. And it's completed when you turn from your sin back to Jesus. Repent. 
Remove anything that stands between you and Jesus. Rearrange your priorities that work against, against growing closer to him. Rearrange those. And what's the third thing? Just repeat. Incorporate back in your life those things that fostered and depended your first love and deepened your first love for Jesus. As we sing a song in worship, maybe we want to just do that. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you have not left your first love. And for that, I say, amen. Keep serving Jesus with all of your heart. But maybe some of you are a degree off. You're just a degree off. You're just a degree off. And he says, you're, you're about to leave me. And maybe some of you are you're going, yeah, pastor, you were speaking to me, man. I, I used to have that devotion. I, I want... Between me and God, I want Jesus back in my heart. Father, we've, we've missed you so much. Lord, we don't want to be the church of Ephesus. God, we want you. We need you, God. And we've lost that loving feeling, God. We've turned our backs on you. We've, we think we can do it without you, God. And we've missed that devotion. We missed that time that you spoke to us. We miss those things, God. We've gotten too mature. We've gotten too old in our walks. We've gotten too whatever it might be. And so tonight I'm begging you, Holy Spirit, fill this place. We repent. We repent. We repent. We turn back to you, Lord. We turn back to you, God. We've blown it. We confess our sin. We trust in you, Jesus. We worship you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Worship with us, church. Worship. Give this time to Jesus. Give this time to the Lord. Don't. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.